Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's a TDSB medalist and representative school at OFSA. He's played wheelchair basketball for Team Ontario and the U23 national team, and he's currently on our senior men's sitting team. Please welcome to the show, Nassif Chowdhury. Nassif, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is great, man, because we, we met uh, through email, actually, because uh, you guys were nice enough to be looking for training partners, and we brought some beach national team guys to uh, T-Pass there. So before we get into your story, just tell me about uh, training in Toronto, uh, how much fun it is to bring in either like club teams or national teams. Like It seems like you guys got a good group in Toronto, but you're always looking for bodies to train with, right? Yeah, so when we have everybody in Toronto, we have five bodies, which is about the most that any other provinces in Canada have right now. We actually have a sixth Ontario member as well, but uh, he was up in Thunder Bay, which is probably the farthest part of Ontario you can be in. Um, but yeah, like training in Toronto right now is pretty decent. And the uh, fun thing about training at the Pan Am Centre is like it's really just four of us and sitting volleyball is, you know, it's not it's not as mainstream as it should be yet. But uh, when we get the chance to have like national team beach players come out, have the clubs, like that's really, it really helps us in our game. And we, you know, we were really fortunate that you guys were able to come out. It was a really fun time and to get guys like Alex and Jake stuff out. It was really awesome. Yeah, it, it was cool for our guys because uh, obviously they're they're professionals in their own discipline. But uh, you guys were so patient with us and teaching the rules and technique there. Where uh, I think they thought they were good volleyball players, but tactically, I felt like you guys showed them a thing or two. Like it was definitely a competitive environment. Oh yeah, for sure. And like. It's just the little things, right? And like one of the biggest things about sitting volleyball is like, you know, how do you move, right? Which a lot of those guys are pretty big, so they didn't really have to move. But you can tell, like with small players, you know, you gotta be fast, and you know, the serves are coming hard at you. There's no like, there's no one width of the court to the other in the stand-up court. It's like half the size, a quarter the size, and it's just super hard, and it's coming at you fast, and you really gotta like play quick. Not a lot of form either, and you just gotta play quick and play hard. So, uh, like you mentioned, you got about uh, five guys in the GTA if everybody's available, uh, a Thunder Bay cat, and then everybody across the province. So, with you guys being camp-based, uh, how often do you guys go with the Toronto group? And then when you're getting ready for a competition, uh, where's home base right now? Yeah, so home base for our, whole, for our team kind of is uh, out in Calgary right now. So, in Calgary is where we'll kind of have all our training camps and we'll centralize. Um, we have a nice little facility in partnership with the Calgary Dinos Volleyball Club and uh, where they have really nice facility. It's nice and private, really, really nice. Everything's brand new. They even have, you know, sitting volleyball lines printed down their courts, which is just a huge step in the right direction. And uh, it's a really dope place, honestly. Um, but yeah, that's where our team will go and we'll have camps about once a month. Um, we'll do a couple days, a couple days, a couple days every month and we'll go, you know, two-day practices, FCC, uh, mental training sessions, and we'll do that for a bit. And then when a big tournament comes, we usually do centralize a little bit longer for a big big tourney. Like if we were going to a Worlds or something, and we'd stop somewhere. We've done it before where we've even gone to Montreal a couple of times to do it to centralize there. It really depends on the situation. You know, our women's program just did it to the centralization in France, which I would totally love to do. Um, but yeah, right now Calgary is home for our team. We go there a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive into the weeds more on City here in a second. But uh, take me from the top of your journey. Uh, what got you into just sport in general? And then what got you into, uh, you know, volleyball and basketball at such a high level? Right. So uh, sport in general, well, I kind of tried to play a little bit of everything. Um, for me specifically, um, being a kid with a disability is a little different when how you get into sport. 
Um, but my parents kind of did a really good job, but kind of never treating me any differently than any other kid. So, you know, there's to go play basketball, go play soccer, go play volleyball, whatever it was, they kind of said, all right, just go do it. There's nothing to stop me. So, um, you know, I started off um, like anybody else, like you're going to play with your friends at recess, you know, and then uh, from there you start trying up your school teams. That's where you really start finding out what you like. Um, and the only school teams I made when I was in fifth grade were the volleyball team and the badminton team, the two, two teams I made. And then, uh, you know, volleyball just kind of stuck with me. Like I was, I kind of had above average skill at the time in grade five. I don't know how, how skilled grade fives are nowadays. Cause now I see videos of them, seeing videos of like grade five athletes and high school or not high school in the u.s they're dunking and things like that but which is crazy but when i was in school if you could pass a ball with your forearms and not completely throw it into the ceiling or something you're considered a good volleyball player so so i was pretty decent at volleyball at the time in grade five when i first started and really enjoyed being good at a sport um as i got older i started playing more at different levels you know i started playing basketball and I took it to middle school and then I did the same thing with volleyball. I kind of tried playing everywhere. Had a huge soccer phase. Did, did a lot of sports throughout my time. And then uh, when I went to high school is when I really started uh, specializing in volleyball. I was able to go to Harvard Collegiate Institute in Toronto on the uh, Lauren Christie Koreatown area. And uh, that's where when I joined it in as a freshman, we actually had a really strong senior volleyball team. So they actually went to Offsa when I was in grade nine. And then and my team had done it two years later when I became a senior. Um, and we had some really good players on my grade 12 team. They kind of saw them play and they kind of inspired me to get into volleyball a little bit more seriously. That's where I found out about club and like all the things like that, and how high of a level volleyball could really be. Yeah, take me through that. Just for any of our listeners not in the Ontario region, uh, it's hard to make offset. You basically have to win your region, and your region was uh, the Toronto, basically like the GTA. So for you guys to do well at cities and represent uh, TDSB at offset, I imagine you would have had club players. Like I know you were looking up uh, to guys who played club, but even your cohort must have had it, right? So uh, I love a good name drop. Like who were some of the the cats that you were playing with who were uh, either you looked up to when you were kind of in your first couple of years, or who did you play with in your older years? Right. So the TDSB was a super interesting uh, kind of league when I was playing because from what I was told growing up wasn't as strong as it used to be. But we had some pretty good players in the TDSB as well. So specifically in my high school, um, one of the seniors on our team was, uh, well, on the, when I was in grade nine, I was on the junior team. The senior team uh, was Noel Campens, who's a left side at Waterloo right now, actually. So he, he uh, was the best player on our school's team. And that's where I found out about Team Ontario and all that. And I was kind of shocked. And he was an awesome player. And one of the games that I'd go and watch was when Etobicoke CI was at our school. And that's where uh, Jackson Young played. So Jackson Young and Mo Campus would literally go at it. And I'm literally watching like these guys jumping up a pipe and just banging a ball at the attack line. And I'm like, this is awesome. And uh, we had a couple of good players. Like Brendan Chan was a, the setter on our senior high school team that year. And, he, uh, you know, his dad coached his dad coached uh, that team and my team as well, um, and he coached at Pack Gold for a while as well. So, like, there were a couple of good players. Um, Brennan Chan was an awesome setter. You see a five-five guy, and you see him touch rim, and you're like, "What? How's he doing that?" And um, we had a couple guys who, 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 you know, 
grew up playing club till about 15 U and kind of picked up other sports. We had a guy who like played like Canada ultimate frisbee and like we had just we had hockey players as middles. We were a pretty scrappy school. We had kind of found the best athletes from around and maybe some of the volleyball players and we were able to have some good success. Um, and interestingly, like when we when my team had gone into grade eleven and we had qualified for Austin, we actually only had one club player on the team. Um, and it wasn't even me. Um, so my first year of club was at actually eighteen U and at the time we were sixteen or seventeen 17 years. So um, our only player was Carter Chan, actually, Brendan's little brother, who was a pack gold libero for most of his life. Uh, he played on the same 18U, I think 17U gold team that uh, Matthew Rugosi libero on with Master plays on. Uh, Zim Rahim was on that team, the guy from Harvard. Harvard. Um, there was a lot of good players on that squad. And uh, he, we had their second libero, who was our only club player. He played left side for us. He just carried us, really. He was an awesome player to see. And that was one of the guys who I loved watching play ball. Man, man, small world because uh, Edmund's a, a big shooter in the nine-man community and definitely contributes. Uh, him and I actually worked at Lung Lum together, so I know Brandon and Carter really well. So it's funny that uh, uh, Edmund was your, your coach and you got to play with those guys. So that's awesome to hear about. So uh, to follow your career. Awesome. Yeah, no, small world. So uh, actually, sorry, I, I missed this in your bio. Uh, where did you end up playing club? I ended up playing club at Toronto West Volleyball Club my 18 year. Uh, so that was kind of like that COVID year where there weren't many tournaments and like you'd have to go to practice with like six people and like you kind of divide your team. It was such a bad time. You know, our coach, our coach always jokes about us being like the best club team he's ever coached and never play. Um, we had decent players on the team. We really, we had some potential. Like uh, we had uh Charlie Alanis, who uh, is now on the playing in the Beach U twenty World Championships, I think, with Colin Lash right now, and and he was a great left side for us, and we were a really fun team, and that's where a lot of my best buddies from. Awesome, yeah, yeah. As we're recording this, uh, Charlie's in Thailand playing. That. That's so cool. Um, who was your coach at TUS? Because I know John Long's been involved in a long time, but I don't think he usually works with the older boys. Who was your coach? Yeah, my coach was Ed Terlinski, actually. Oh, nice. So he, uh, yeah, so he was my club coach for about half, half a season to more, and I tried to, I stay in touch with him to this day because now he coaches my little brother at TP West, and uh, I come and help out of practice whenever I can. Sweet, no, it was so cool to hear that all the all the same names seem to come up in our sport. There's a lot of people contributing at every level. It feels like so. Uh, when did you learn that sitting volleyball was a thing? Yeah, so that was actually at the Toronto 2019 Offset. Um, one of the refs had kind of came up to me after one of our games. Uh, I think it was a game we played against St. Marcy's and uh, the rest of Centennial College that year. And uh, one of the refs had came up to me after the game, kind of realized that I had a prosthetic leg. And I was the starting bear on that team as well. And he kind of mentioned, like, you know, I see you playing stand-up volleyball. Have you thought about you know, taking it to the next level and really, like, playing for the national team, the para level? And I didn't even realize that, you know, I could be a part of it. Um, and, you know, I really got into volleyball and I, what really I loved was how high level you could play. And, you know, I kind of idolized, you know, the athletes in my school who were on like Team O Elite and like, you know, hear about the guys who are going to like the, champ like the premier championship tournaments and all that. And so I kind of, when I realized that I could maybe be on Volleyball Canada, I totally was like, all right, we'll do it. So after that original, uh, original ref coming up to me and, you know, telling me that, 
it was pretty possible for me to play. I jumped out of it right away. That, that's so cool. And what was your first impression when you get in the gym with these guys? Because uh, the, the current state of our city program, it feels like if you're good enough, you're old enough. There really isn't an age limit or restriction. Hopefully, uh, in a few years, sitting evolves enough that we can start talking about age class and certain things. But uh, I imagine you were maybe one of the youngest cats in the gym because it does vary quite a bit, right? Yeah, I, I was the youngest. I was the youngest player for a little bit. I think for I've been on the team for uh, technically I've been on the team for uh, just over two years, and uh, I only just became no longer the the youngest player on the team. We just uh, one of my buddies, uh, Nick Aldrich, just turned eighteen. He's now our youngest player, um, and he just came fresh out of club as well, uh, playing for the Peterborough Thunder this year. Uh, so he's uh, he's an interesting, he's an awesome guy. Really, he's one of those buddies, but. Uh, but yeah, so like coming into the first time, uh, what's funny is I actually found out about studying volleyball right when COVID began. So I kind of heard about volleyball. You talked to me about the opportunities and the world shut down, right? So I had kind of, I didn't really, there was a little bit of like time in between when I actually got into the gym with the national team. Um, but so as soon as my first time, they flew me out to Edmonton at the time. That's where we were situated. We were training out of the civil center and, uh, the first camp I go to because of COVID, there was only there was maybe eight of us, eight or nine, maybe ten, but there wasn't a full twelve. And uh, I think the youngest player after me, if I exclude Bryce, so Bryce is one of our other younger players from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Uh, he was a couple years older than me, but after us too, I think the oldest next age was maybe ten years older than us, fifteen. Um, one of our older players, you know, one of our older players. Uh, Jose Rebello, you know, he's been, he, he's been in Paralympics before, before I was even born. So, you know, there's a huge variety of age and sing volleyball. And it's really awesome to see like some of these guys are just such good, such good uh, condition. You know, they're just, you know, animals and they're just, you know, freaks in nature. They're just real different. <laughs> and they're able to play the game at such a high level. It's awesome. And just before we, we take a deep dive into sitting here, uh, what was the entry point into wheelchair basketball? Wheelchair basketball uh, kind of happened, um, I'd say it's been, I just hit two years of playing that as well. But volleyball, I think, I've been playing, sitting well for three years, I've only been on the senior men's national team for two years just because I did spend my first year kind of redshirting a little bit. So uh, I didn't officially make the, the roster until uh, right before our uh, Tokyo qualifier. But uh, wheelchair basketball kind of happened to me, um, I'd say, in December of 2021. Um, and that kind of happened through one of my other athletes, uh, Derek Simonowitz, who um, actually had a pro career in wheelchair basketball uh, kind of while he was doing sitting volleyball as well. So he kind of told me about the sport and how cool it was. and. Uh, one of my one of my things um, growing up was you know I always thought T-Mobile was so cool and like being a part of the T-Mobile program because you know all the people around you were on it and you know when you're a kid playing club you see the T-Mobile backpack at a school tournament you're like oh, oh this guy's legit you know that's that's where you kind of want to be and wheelchair basketball has Team Ontario and they compete at the Canada Winter Games um, so for me it was kind of something to check off of my athletic career bucket list where, you know, I wanted to see if I could compete at a team provincial level. You know, unfortunately, sitting volleyball doesn't have an Ontario level uh, as much as I wish it did. But uh, at first, it kind of started out as like, a, oh, well, I just want to make a team Ontario so I can, 
you know, say that I at least competed at every level I could. Um, and then from there, it kind of snowballed a little bit and I got pretty attached to it. And uh, that's kind of where, you know, tryouts for the U23 national team kind of showed up and training with uh, some senior men's athletes sometime and playing leagues and things like that, um, which is pretty awesome. But yeah, so that's been about two years now. Nice, nice. And what was that experience like going to uh, an Ontario Winter Games, like a multi-sport event like that? That was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so like uh, to be able to go there, it was pretty nice. And it was a little different feel from uh, going with the volleyball team just because all the athletes are around your age on the the Team Ontario circuit. So like all the kids are – so for wheelchair basketball, it's actually an under-23 program. So I kind of went into that tournament as a 19-year-old. Um, which is pretty cool because I get to go to the next Canada Winter Games as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, like it was cool to be around like people that are your age and uh, you all just get to have a good laugh and also get to win together and you genuinely become really good friends with a lot of your teammates and you get to meet a lot of people from other sports, you know, like I get to watch, you know, I didn't know what ringette was until, until I saw it for myself. Um, you get to talk to other athletes, you know, we were able to, you know, we were able to room uh, next, a lot of the Team Ontario hockey guys, so we were able to become buddies with a couple of them. And, you know, you meet a lot of cool athletes from provinces, and it's really awesome, really. It's nothing else like it. Yeah, that, that's so cool. So, uh, I, back to sitting, and, and I think pessimists sometimes will say it's different, like para sports are, are different. But I think one thing that makes sitting volleyball pretty unique is the court dimensions and the net height. I could make a solid argument that say that it's faster than the other disciplines. The, the ball is moving faster. The reaction time, the, the pace of play is fast. So with you being new to the sport and you getting a chance to be on the national team so young, how did you catch up with it? Because it, it's got to be a little bit overwhelming once you're playing at that level, right? Yeah, it totally is. Like, I wouldn't even say I've necessarily catched up yet. You know, <laughs> I, I'm slowly in my way. And there's things that still, like, you know, aren't perfect. That's, I guess that's the story about the volleyball in general. But, um, yeah, like the biggest thing, you know, kind of making that transition to sitting volleyball for the first time, you know, like, I think one of the biggest things is like as myself, so I played the barrel in my high school, so I love forearm passing. The forearm passing has always been a thing that, you know, growing up, even, you know, when I was in my middle school or high school tryouts, they make you kind of set the ball, you set the ball to yourself, you walk from the baseline to the net, you come back, they ask you questions like, hey, how many of you guys found that setting the ball to yourself is much easier than forearm passing? Everybody puts their hand up except for me. I love forearm passing. It's just my, my thing. So when you come to sitting volleyball, well, there really isn't enough time to forearm pass a lot. So you actually want to use your hands about 75, 80% of the time. You know, you, you really want to avoid using your forearms as much as possible. Um, and that still right now for me is one of the biggest changes. And I make that mistake sometimes, you know, obviously there's situations where you do got to use your forearms, but I love using my forearms and, Really, you got to use your hands to volleyball. It's much too fast. You don't have the time to even put your hands together sometimes, you know. Um, you know, I like myself, you know, a nice little scoop dig. Like, that's like being able to just literally just do whatever you can to get the ball up is your only option because of how small the court is and how, how big the athletes are. You know, people don't take in how big sitting volleyball players are. And I was actually one of those athletes who thought that. I kind of went in and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to barrel and stand up. Maybe I can become a setter. In, uh, in sitting volleyball, you know, I'm a lefty. I can hit it on two, something like that. But I went in there and I was the shortest player on the team. I showed up and, you know, our captain Doug's like 6'7", our opposite Connor 6'7", Darren's like 6'5". I'm like, oh my God, like, how am I going to kick a beat with these guys? 
there's no vertical that can help me in this sport. So, uh, so yeah, that was definitely one of the biggest things that, uh, transition to sling blow was definitely tough. And it, is it on you, obviously, I guess, as the learner to catch up, but like, were the coaches super helpful? Were the vets super helpful? Like what helped you, uh, maybe accelerate your learning a little bit that, uh, it's funny that you mentioned maybe you still haven't kind of caught up to the level you want to be at, but at least to get comfortable to be competitive at that level. Like, is there anyone you want to give a shout out that maybe pulled you aside or talked you through some strategies? Oh man. Uh, how much time do we have? I can name <laughs> a lot, man. So, uh, so like obviously our head coach, Jeff Smith. So Jeff's put a lot of his trust into me and, you know, he's someone who kind of showed me all the ropes of sitting volleyball and, really just trying to teach me a lot, you know, when it, when it comes to like platform manipulation where he's like, Oh, okay, well, you know, to see if it likes using his forearms, well, let's just teach him how to do it properly and things like that. And, um, he's helping me a lot with it. Uh, you know, Derek Swan, which is also another one just because, you know, at one point when I started this sport, it was really just me and him at practice, you know, the, the last three. So we have five athletes in Toronto right now, but the, the three that are now here with us as well, they've only joined the team within the last year. So, um, it was me and Derek for a long time and him and I was a lot of one-on-one sessions of volleyball, which everybody knows how fun that, that is. But, uh, but yeah, like he taught me everything, you know, he, uh, he took some time where he had trained in Germany with the German national team as well. So he was able to get a sitting volleyball lens of Europe and like how they do things with sitting volleyball and how it's different from Canada and the U S and, um, and he kind of taught me the things that he learned and, what really works, what doesn't, you know, what it, using your hands all the time, how to move. Um, so he, you know, Derek was one of the biggest people in City Ball able to really show me, you know, how I should be playing, what I can do, what I can do better. And he always did a good job at kind of hearing me out. And, you know, I always, I'm a little bit of a person who like, you know, will kind of tell you why I'm thinking and what process is going through my brain when I'm doing something. And it always takes the time to listen, kind of explain to me, you know, it'll take a minute, he'll listen, he'll, Argue, we'll argue a little bit and then we'll eventually get the compromise and end up learning a lot, becoming a better player for it. Nice, nice. And I think people, if they take the time and invest it and want to watch sitting, I think they're going to be blown away by the entertainment value because of the speed and, the, and everything going on. But uh, I think for people to truly love and appreciate it, we need to understand the tactics a little bit more. So hopefully you can uh, bear with me here, but maybe just walk us through some tactics in terms of uh, obviously the blockers are allowed to try to block serve. So how does that maybe influence the serving strategy or the reception strategy of the team just to take us through like a pretty unique rule that you're not allowed in the other disciplines of volleyball? Right, yeah. So blocking the serve definitely changes a lot, especially because um, growing up with volleyball, especially like at the 18 level when my short time playing club, uh, one of the biggest things was like hit it hard, hit it hard at close to the tape, right? Like that's what any good serve really is. It's a serve that's so hard that they can't pass it and just right off the tape goes down. But that doesn't work in sitting volleyball. As soon as you put a blocker in your face, you know, it changes the whole thing. Because, um, you know, you open up, ways to score points, right? So you can tool the block, the serve, which is what changes the game. You know, the angles of passing change as well. Uh, um, for me, I do, before I kind of, sometimes last year at our world championship, I actually came in as a designated server a couple of times and to be able to serve and not hit the block is really tough, actually. You know, you got to hit the smallest, the smallest uh, gaps and Blockers can move too, right? You know, just because it's sitting volleyball, players are actually hardly stationary, where you have players that are constantly shifting and gliding and moving along the court. So, uh, you know, for me, when I'm serving, uh, 
try my best to find the biggest gap. You know, I'll move around the court if I need to, uh, and I'll kind of try and find those gaps. You know, it changes the service even a bunch too because of what your seams look like, right? Like you have to place the uh, to place each each receiver in between the blocks, and you know when you're doing that, you also got to make sure to communicate with your block whether they're going to be disciplined and just go straight up or if they're actually going to reach and try and block it because it's going to change up your whole flow. Or, you know, sometimes you'll, sometimes you'll have two blocks, you know, right next to each other, have two, two blockers right next to each other. will create a different set of seams just because you might have a passer that passes better one way than the other. You know, when it comes to passing, um, there's always leg side, especially when there's always leg side and there's non leg side. So you'll have athletes with, you have amputees, which actually I'm not an amputee, but you'll have, uh, the side where your leg is and you'll have the side where your leg is not. And usually passing on the side where your leg is not is a lot easier. So what a lot of servers nowadays will try and do is they'll actually try to serve the side where your leg is. So they'll try to make you pass because there's less space and you have to move your leg out of the way before you can pass it. So it involves a little bit more to react to it. And uh, even that like, is a huge thing about like how you have to adjust. You have to worry about <laughs> what leg people have just to find a weakness in their game. It's really interesting. Yeah, see, that, that's an awesome explanation. That's stuff that I, I wouldn't consider it as a viewer, so it's so great to get you on and explain stuff. And uh, we've been so lucky. It feels like Austin Hitchie has been on the squad since day one, and to have a talented setter like that. So uh, take us through some of the principles you have because you have such a strong setter. Like, uh, I, I imagine a spread principle is more valuable than maybe like an overload if people are looking at the setter game. Uh, with the, the movement of the sport, are you guys always looking to have a back row setter, front row setter? Like, what are some tactics that go into setting up the offense? Yeah, so like you're right, like Austin and she's just awesome. Like he's such a sick player to have. You know, like I only found out that he was like right handed after a couple of camps already seen him. Like he have you seen him hit a ball on two? It's awesome. You know, he hits it with the left so clean and I was like, There's no way this guy isn't left handed, but he isn't. He's a right hand right handed player and he's such a such a quick player too. He's just so smart, you know. He dictates our offense pretty well and uh what happens a lot in sitting volleyball is like, so right now I think our team, uh, I think we're currently running two setters right now with uh, Austin and Bryce and uh, trying to run, trying to ha have more hitting options. You know, Austin can hit the ball on the left side as well, pretty well. So uh, have him to have him do as much as he can. We kind of try and do everything we can so that we get everything out of him. Um, but, you know, we also have kind of played around some teams, internationally also do three settings you know they try and do triangle setting offense which is something you don't see in the stand-up game but uh in the sitting game it does work sometimes you know you you have three setters you'll have them in the triangle and you kind of play them out and you see how they do it um the only downside to it is obviously you have the two hitting options to the front um instead of kind of like your back row setter coming in and uh coming in and kind of doing that but it's it's pretty interesting actually the different ways that people set up the offense. But I'm a big fan of you know Canada's pretty fortunate to have good setters. We've had Doug set some couple times as well, who's you know probably got the nicest hands ever. And uh, to be able to have pretty good setters as well, even Jose Rebello on our team who also have hands. So we're actually pretty fortunate. We're pretty pretty well uh, established country to have. We have a lot of good guys who can set the ball pretty well. Um, and and Austin Austin's just the best at all. He's, he's got some great setting. Like some of the some of the sets I've seen made, and one of the biggest parts um, about 
you know, just sitting mobile is movement really and being quick and all our setters are pretty fast. And, uh, you know, being able to run, you know, the middle, run, be able to run the left side, the C ball, the pipe, like all of it. Just, you have to take in a lot. There's countries that, you know, will use one setter, especially they'll use three. And there's countries that really, you know, even at the Pan Am game, or sorry, not Pan Am games, the zonal qualifier we had, you know, you might run into a country that kind of just will make whoever's in three set every time. So there's, you get, you get your variety in sitting like, you know, depends where your country's at, where your national team's at. Now, you mentioned the back row attack there, which is obviously a big part of the offense. And my understanding, uh, is it similar to the serving rule where it doesn't technically matter where your feet is? You're looking for basically where contact with the floor is, right? Like where your butt is? Is that how you police yeah. the, the pipe and the yeah, seagull? Yeah, so you, your butt used to be behind the attack line. And uh, the way they determine that, well, the, the way the hitter can determine that is if you look down, kind of uh, like between your legs, if you're able to still see the line, then you're okay. But as soon as you don't see the line, you're kind of you're dirty a little bit, and the refs will pay pay attention to that. And uh, the back row ball is a huge part of the game for sure. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the movement because to me that that's that's what stood out. I mean, we brought uh, some beach national team athletes, and I think uh, their, their touch on the ball, their competitive spirit, they're they're top tier and that stuff. But uh, you guys were just flying around the court, and I think it's just the technique you have and just the the know how of how to move. But how does that affect how you set up your base defense? Like you, you mentioned, like lag side, uh, is it easier to move forward or backwards, or what are some strategies for you guys? Because you were just like water bugs, just zipping around the court out there trying to get to every ball. Where our guys were a little bit more stiffer, trying to figure it out as we got along there yeah there's so many things you got to take take uh take into consideration like you know even uh kind of they say that the best setup for a sitting volleyball athlete is to be is to be um you want your leg to be the the same leg in which you're you swim with your arms so if i'm a left-handed uh athlete which i am uh if my left if i have my left leg and i'm having amputation on my right side that's considered ideal because you want your hitting arm and you want your leg to be in line. And uh, it just makes hitting a lot smoother. Um, can move doesn't affect the movement too much, but it just works a lot better. Um, and when you're playing defense, you can understand it. So for me, I'm actually the opposite, where my impaired limb is actually my left leg and I'm left-handed. So my good leg is my right leg. So because of that, my my body naturally has like an, has like a shoulder kind of, has like a little bit of like a shoulder move where like my left shoulder sags down a little bit just because of how I sit in in uh, sitting volleyball. And because of that, sometimes a lot of my passes actually go a little bit more left than right. So I get pass a lot to like position three a little bit more than I do to two, uh, two five. But so I am actually forced to over exaggerate my platform a little bit, but it's like things like that where like, you know, some people will play with sitting with their, you know, you try sitting a different way where you want to manipulate your platform one way or, or uh, it might be a weaker, it might be a way to eliminate your leg side if you tuck your leg or something like that where you want to manipulate your weakness, essentially. But people are trying to find your leg. They're trying to find part of your body to hit where instead you're going to like take it away out of the equation and you're going to try and just take the ball right away from there. And you're constantly moving because just like regular volleyball, you know, there's so many things you need to worry about, like tips, uh, you know, tips, deep, deep corner shots. Um, for us, you know, we have uh, we have a setter and six up sometimes. So six up changes the game a lot where, you know, that tip and that kind of cookie jar doesn't really happen as much, but it's more like a tip all the way down to six back where you really got to get that. 
um, just changes the whole defensive plan, really. Sitting ball was just kind of its own animal. Yeah, and, and just one more tactic question, uh, and forgive me if this is just uh, too beginner, because I know you play at the national team level, but again, one thing I noticed when we trained with you guys, uh, because the block is so solid, there's not really like a timing differential. Like the block isn't ever on the way down. So I'm curious, how does that influence the strategy where uh, does the block just hold their lane and press a little bit longer? Is there a cat and mouse when to drop your hands, when to press? Like, how does that kind of influence the game? Because if you watch some of our beach guys play, they love to chip over the block or around it or try to time it when they're on the way down, like little things where you guys have a little bit more cat and mouse about when you're going to go, right? Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, in sitting volleyball, a lot, you'll see, you'll see a call like this where really it's it's two guys going up for a joust and net. They both just hold it and the ball stops and that's all it is. Like the ball just freezes in their hands and it's just a reserve. And, um, and really um, one of the things about, you know, blocking is really like, like you mentioned, you know, there's no timing. I mean, there's timing on the block. There's no falling midair. There's no, the block doesn't get smaller unless it just stays there. And uh, it does change things a lot where, you know, if, you're late to moving to the block. Um, you know, you'll kind of, if you're falling over and sitting volleyball, you're, you can't stay st- standing up and somebody's just arm straying at her, you're going to lose the block. Like there's a lot of times where in instances where the block does change, it's because players aren't stationed properly and they're kind of falling over and they're reaching and, you know, they end up on the floor. But, you know, there's times where, you know, most of the blockers do stay really strong and stationary, but that's where opportunities like, you know, Austin takes advantage of this all the time where he'll just wipe it off your hands right away. You're just, you're too sad on like being stationary with your block and just holding it for too forever. Austin will just wipe it off your hands. Doug will do the same thing. It's, it's one of the moves that they do best. And, um, it's definitely one of the biggest things that I noticed was different from the standing game because I love hitting a block like when it's going down on it. Tooling blocks is just something I like doing as a smaller hitter, right? So, um, Definitely having the block just stay up there the whole time, sitting wild up and stuff. And with your time on the national team, uh, how are you balancing the rivalry with USA, but also the friendship? Because I feel like that's a resource we use really well. That every time you guys do exhibition, it's playing against USA. But sure enough, if there's a Parapan Games or Olympic qualifying or going toward the Olympics, uh, you're going to play USA at some point. Like just uh, our Olympic ranking, their Olympic ranking, their top team. So what's it like to kind of rely on them for serious training, but also know it's like a rivalry and whenever you play in a competition, it's, it's a serious game, right? Yeah. Well, like, you know, every single time we play, it's five setter, like every single time. And uh, I think I've played, I've played against them in international competitions, I think twice now. Um, well, we played, I think I've played them twice now um, at two different tournaments, but both back at the uh, first one was back at the, uh, Tokyo qualifier and the one recently right now at Arizona and there were both five setters and they're such tight games you know we you know we, we unfortunately haven't been at the winning end of them but for them to be so close is just you know our games are so you know um some of the best pictures of our athletes are against them and you just see somebody screaming somewhere and being super hyped and excited in their, their games it's really good because we get to do things where we play. They're a good team. You know, they're a team that's been in the Paralympics before. And, you know, they've got really good athletes on their team. And, you know, we go really hard at it. And we all play play really well against each other. Um, and then to be able, you know, kind of outside of the gym, you know, you'll in the end, they're our comrades. And, you know, they're, they're buddies of ours. And we can, you know, ask them how their family's doing and say what's up to all these guys. And, you, you know, there is obviously that sense of, uh, you know, in 
there are competitors, but there are also people who make us better as well. And so we always invite them to events and we're able to be pretty fortunate to have a good relationship with them and keep playing. Nice, nice. And uh, just doing some research for the show, your name pops up a lot. It looks like if there's an event, a speaking engagement, if there's any opportunity to even do a demo and teach people more about sitting, it seems like you're you're always the guy at these events. And don't get me wrong, there a ton of your teammates help out too, but it seems like you, you jump at these opportunities. Uh, why is it so important for you to get out in the community and just talk about sitting or do a demo or, or teach people your sport? Well, it's huge, you know, like the... The fact that I'm given the opportunity to do it is huge for me just because, you know, I didn't find sitting until, until I was a 17-year athlete already, right? But, you know, it, you know it's, it's scary to think about how good maybe I could have been at the sport if I had started when I was a 13-year athlete. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if there was any way I got into Paris sport a little bit earlier on, obviously, I loved doing my able-bodied sports growing up and that kind of made me the athlete I am today. But uh, if I had done both, maybe who knows what could have happened. Maybe, you know, I would have developed a little quicker. Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I would have uh, had a lot of more opportunities to maybe, maybe be the youngest national team player ever. You know, maybe I would have made the team at 14. Who knows? I think Doug actually our captain did that. So I think I would have had that title. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, getting out the community and trying to, Get more exposure to sitting ball, just because you know, even when you compare it to wheelchair basketball and other sports like that, like wheelchair rugby things like that, um, sitting volleyball isn't the most popular, and I feel like it really should be because um, it's the most fun sport, really. Um, you know, volleyball it's really cool because volleyball is growing in Ontario, and like I just saw OBA post saying there's like 1,200 teams now in Ontario, and like to have that many is so awesome. Like volleyball is just such a great sport, right? And what I really want is sitting volleyball to really pick up and to even get to a point where, you know, we'll have, you know, a provincial championship or like have a national championship where, you know, they'll have maybe like each national team player come out, create a team with like friends or buddies and you kind of enter a tournament kind of like US Open style, you know, kind of do something like that. Like that's what eventually I want for sitting ball. I want it to become super big, you know, obviously one day, like maybe it gets its own team elite, right? Maybe one day it goes to the Canada Winter Games or Canada Summer Games or whatever it is. So I really, whenever there's opportunities to show up for sport, I really want to show it because it is a lot of fun, you know, and if you're an athlete who, you know, is able to play at a national team level, there's so many opportunities for you to play, you know? Yeah, man, this has been awesome. And, uh, Believe me, I'm not trying to bring down the mood because I've learned so much, but uh, sometimes we got to treat it like we're a real show and, and talk about the real issues. So uh, uh, fans of volleyball will know that there's supposed to be a world championship going on right now, and you guys made the tough decision to not attend. So uh, just fill me and the listeners in how, how tough of a decision that was and, and why it was the, the right choice for the squad right now. Yeah, well, with everything that's kind of been going on on that side of the world, you know, our team in the end decided that, you know, this world world cup wasn't for us and you know other countries that also made the same decision to pull out you know the ukraine pulled out the usa pulled out um our canadian women still are, are still going and they're uh this really might be a huge tournament they qualify for uh paris and you know we're going to be watching every single one of their games and you know in the end for us you know it is tough because it's another chance to qualify that you're not going to right and in the end, it's a volleyball tournament. There's nothing more that a volleyball player likes than a volleyball tournament to go compete at. Um, and for us, it was definitely hard, but 
in the end, you know, for athlete safety and it just made the most sense for us not to go. But, uh, but we'll still be watching it and we'll be supporting our Canadian women who, you know, our Canadian women's program is freaking awesome and they've got such dope group of girls that are going to do some serious damage there and we'll qualify for Paris and, you know, they're, they're going to do it in style and they're a pretty scrappy and awesome team to watch. So I uh, definitely, definitely want everybody to give them a look and watch their games in the next couple of weeks. And uh, what does that mean for you guys uh, trying to qualify for Paris? What's next? Yeah, so for us, our, uh, we're now looking towards the last chance qualifier. So that'll be uh, in China in April. So uh, for us, uh, we need to find out what teams will be there first. But uh, usually our ranking, so I think we're ranked 11th right now in the world. So I think we should just make it. And uh, from there, you know, it's a whole different set of teams that, from the last one that we were at. So we never really know what will happen. Uh, each game about instead of global each game can really go anyway so uh we're pretty optimistic and uh, it'll be a, it'll be a good show for Canada for sure this has been great to hear about uh your pathway how how we know some of the same people uh, just a small world small community and just uh lear- learning more about city and I want to thank you so much for all that you shared uh one tradition we built into the show is you're playing at the highest level but uh something odd or unique must have happened along the way so I was hoping you could just share a funny story with us before we let you go funny story um i've had a lot of funny moments on the team as being like the youngest guy there's been a lot of stuff that's kind of happened to me self-inflicted actually but uh i'd say the the most funny thing that's ever happened to me was probably my first ever camp um, my first ever experience with the national team so um i we stayed at an airbnb in edmonton uh for my first ever camp and it was me, our captain Doug, and uh, one of our other uh, former players, uh, Bradley. He was uh, he was in the in the Airbnb as well. And this was my first time staying away from home in another province. Um, the first time leaving, my first time staying outside of Toronto without my family. So it was a huge huge deal for me. I was on a, I was on Flair Airlines. I thought the plane was going to crash. It was it was <laughs> insane. But uh, I got to the Airbnb. And the the blanket that was on my bed wasn't like an actual blanket. It was like one of those little like decorative, you know, little blankets that people have sometimes. It's about like the size of, I don't know, I'd say it's maybe like, I'd say it's about 12 inches by 10 inches maybe. Maybe it was like something small like that. It was super small. And um, the actual blanket for the bed was on the bed already, but it felt like my bed sheets at home. So I actually didn't realize that that was the blanket. It was super thin blanket. And so I not realizing that the blanket was already on the bed. I thought it was that little square. And I slept all week on that little, with that little square on me. My legs are sticking out of it. And like my whole lot, and it's literally like a whole thing. And, and then on the last day of the camp, I looked under my bed sheet just to, just to check something. And, I realized that there's another bed sheet under it. I'm like, oh, this isn't a bed sheet. This is a, this is a blanket. <laughs> I've been sleeping on, I've been sleeping on top of the blanket every night for the week. And I've been using this little like pillow that's been covering like my feet only. Or it's a little blanket that's only on my feet. And it was just another, it's just, a, <laughs> the guys had such a good laugh about it uh, at the camp. Like the guys kind of realized, oh, this kid, this kid's young. And, you know, in the end for me, it was, you know, I went from never leaving the province to, 
to going all the way to Edmonton and being in a room, being in a house with strangers at 17, you know, it was a, <laughs> it was super interesting for sure. Definitely. And yeah, so, you, you're the new guy, so you don't want to complain or talk about how bad your accommodations oh, are. Yeah, so no, I, I was not, you know, I was, I was on the phone with my family. I'm like, Oh, it's really cold in Edmonton. Like my room's freezing. They're like, Oh, like, are you getting under the blanket? I'm like, yeah, the blanket's small. It's the size of like a rabbit. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I didn't say anything all week because I don't want to complain. I want them to kick me out of the team before I make it. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so I spent the week freezing, freezing my ass off in Edmonton. It's pretty interesting. Well, uh, unreal. Well, let's see. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing all that you did. And, uh, yeah, keep, keep training. Hopefully we can cross paths again and join you guys and, and hopefully get you ready for April for the next one. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming on and sharing all that you did. Oh, for sure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, if anybody ever wants to come out to our sitting volleyball practices in Toronto, you know, we're open to everybody and all volleyball skill levels. If everybody wants to come, and it's good reps for us and, you know, it helps us get one step closer to get on that podium.